Welcome back. Richard, it's good to see you on this first weekend of July. Okay. All right. Yeah. Ready? Blazing through the year, halfway. Yep. We, we have right. just passed the halfway mark and, um, and summer is, is, is speeding through for students. <laughs> it is. Summer is definitely here, right? <laughs> That's all you talk. All we're talking about is the, is the heat this summer. Um, oh man. Here and in other states, it, we we know it's it's hotter this year than than ever. Um, yeah, uh, hot and humid. It's it's tough, but um, so today we're going to talk about we're we're going to bring back a topic that we we've talked about really many times. Um, right. We've talked specifically about oppositional defiant disorder before, right. um, but we're going to talk about it today again because. You know, it, it just seems as though uh, over the past few weeks, we've talked about schools and we've talked about some of the challenges that people are seeing in schools. And, and one of those challenges is has to do with students' behavior. Right. And so that oftentimes raises a question about oppositional defiant disorder. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm seeing many more patients who come in with either a, a formal diagnosis from another professional that says oppositional defiant disorder or, or the parents have just you know, sort of Dr. Googled it and and found it, this diagnosis and say that their kid has ODD. Right. Um, and, and in the past, when we've talked about it, we've we've um, we've struggled a little bit with this diagnosis because it's an odd. It's it's really just bad behavior. I mean, it's, it's negative behavior. Um, it's not really what we would consider a medical diagnosis like ADHD. We think of it as a neurodevelopmental disorder or anxiety or depression. This doesn't feel like it fits into one of those categories. This is just about that small group of children who are just very difficult to manage. They're very willful, very headstrong, and it manifests as oppositional and defiant behavior. Absolutely. And, and one of the problems that we have with it is that it to, to be diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder, it, it suggests that the child is being willfully disobedient. They're, they're being intentionally disobedient. And, you know, that, that is really in the mind, in the eyes of the beholder, in some ways, it's right. If a kid is, if you give a child some directions and the child doesn't follow the directions, well, you have to assume that they heard the directions, understood the directions, knew when to get directions and had the attention and, and focus and, and, lack of um, impulsivity or the impulse control to be able to perform and follow those instructions, or you say that they're doing it on purpose. That's right. And and I think that's a key point is that we expect all children to be a little bit stubborn, a little bit oppositional, mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, you're going to, they're going to, they're going to do things we don't want them to do. We're talking about a group of kids who, who are at an extreme uh, right. and they're, always misbehaving and they're always challenging and they're always defying you or or that's the way it feels and it does feel intentional right and that's 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 the other assumption is that for some reason you know with kids with adhd well well, it's the adhd you know he doesn't have any impulse control with these kids it's they're just they're just being bad right that's what adds a layer and we need to be very careful about that assumption because that assumption leads to some uh, leads to some parenting errors that we probably should avoid. A- absolutely. So, and, and as you said, it's, it's a relatively, relatively small portion right. of, of the population, though, though there are some estimates that take it up to maybe, you know, one in 10 kids. Right. Um, but 
again, you know, depending on the the, the research that you read, anywhere from two to eleven percent is said to have oppositional defiant disorder. And again, you know, whether all of those truly have oppositional defiant disorder or if it's something else, we're not sure. But it we do know that it declines with age as the child gets older. They tend to um, th- those tendencies tend to d- to decrease. Um, you know, we also see that the age of onset. You know, there, there's usually one of two times, either it's really early, um, in, in maybe even a toddler or early childhood um, years, or or in the early teens, right, um, right around just as the onset of puberty or so. That's right. The terrible twos and puberty. If, if right. those are the two times when we see an increase in these kinds of behaviors. Yeah. And when we talk about these kinds of behaviors, we're really talking about three core symptoms: anger right. and irritability. Um argumentative and defiant behavior and vindictiveness or revenge seeking. And those are the three things that most parents talk about. There are a number of other characteristics, but those are the three that we commonly uh, run into with these kids. Right, right. And when we talk about those common characteristics, what really what we're talking about are are characteristics or or behaviors that would fall into one of those three categories. So lots of temper tantrums, Mm -hmm. arguing, refusing to do what they're told to do, you know, uh, pushing or or, or questioning rules. Um, But, you know, again, now we get into more, some of the more subjective things like annoying others, um, you know, intentionally angering others, um, speaking harshly to others, you know, those types of things are, are a little bit more subjective because, you know, some people just, talk differently uh, depending on you know characteristics but those are some of the things that we see with kids with um, oppositional defiant disorder but but you know the reason we have an older sibling is is to torture us I mean who doesn't have an older sibling who didn't torture us when we were little so what's the difference between that normal what we would consider normal torturing Right. Uh, younger sibling and something that feels pathological or feels extreme you know where where is that difference and sometimes it's hard to make yeah i, I think that, that was the first time that that quote has ever been used on this podcast normal tur- torturing um we'll have to uh keep a hold of that one but um there are uh, other comorbid um tendencies that we see with um odd2 and again i think that this complicates the, that diagnosis even more Right. Because about, um, you know, about 40 percent of kids with ADHD also have a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder. And again, many of the characteristics of ADHD are the characteristics of oppositional defiant disorder. But depending on your perspective, your your, your evaluation of the behavior, right. you're either going to say that it's because they're not paying attention or because they're impulsive mm-hmm. or you're going to say that they're willfully disobedient. And right. it, it's. It, to me, it's a very fine line that, that I have a hard time crossing sometimes. Right. Now, I always say, if you have ADHD, you probably have ODD because it looks very much the same. Right. Yeah. So you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, lots of kids with oppositional defined disorder also present with anxiety, um, yeah. obsessive compulsive like tendencies, learning dis- dis- uh, disorders, uh, mood related disorders, um, all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. Um and and like we said early early on, the the prevalence of ODD decreases with time. But there is a small percentage of these individuals who grow up to become adults with this. Now now what tends to happen not not always but what tends to happen is that oppositional defiant disorder 
um, will evolve over time into, uh, you know, back in the day, we would say that it, about 1% of those with oppositional defiant disorder would then um, present with uh, conduct disorder. Um, right. And that 1% or so of those would evolve into antisocial personality disorder. Right. So it, it's it's a small portion of, of people who do that, but that can happen. That's right. And that's what you need to be mindful of is that in most cases, these very willful kids will will continue to be willful. But over time, society has a way of sanding off those rough edges, you know, schools right. And sports teams and other people in their lives begin to sand that stuff down, but there is there is about thirty percent, maybe one in three, if they start breaking societal rules and laws, whether it's in school or, or in the community, right. then they can end up getting a diagnosis of conduct disorder, and that in turn can, if that doesn't change, and they continue rule breaking and breaking laws, uh, by the time it's they're eighteen. The diagnosis of conduct disorder changes to antisocial personality disorder. So that's the one thing that we need to be careful of is that if you have a child that you think has oppositional defiant disorder is we have to make sure how does it change over time? Does it diminish over time or does it get worse over time? Right. Now, the important thing that we that everybody wants to know is what do we do about it? Right. Well, well yeah. when we think about re- um, recommended interventions, the, the first thing that we should say, like right off the bat, is that there's not a medication for this. Right. The, there are no medications for oppositional defiant disorder. I, I think that that's why we often see it co-diagnosed with ADHD, because with ADHD, you get, um, you know, you, you have the stimulant medications to help with some of that impulse control and, and all of that. But for oppositional defiant disorder itself, th- there is no medication. And, and so our primary interventions are, are parent training um, and, and therapy for the child. Right. And, and the parent training with these kids, I mean, if you want change to occur, you're, we are going to ask the parent to change something. The right. parents have to change something if they want the child to change. You, you can't, especially a young child, three or four or five, you really can't reason with them. Um, and so it's it's a matter of training the parents to manage the child's behavior in ways that are more effective. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the parent management part. Psychotherapy, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or family-focused therapy, school-based interventions are all useful, except with very young children. Right. Um, you can't use cognitive behavioral therapy with a three or four-year-old because they don't have the language structures to do that. So when we talk about interventions, you know, these standard recommendations that that everybody makes, but treat the treatment you use will depend on the child's age. Right. One of these things you can use with, with uh, older children that you can't use with younger children. But the other thing is the child's temperament. Right. If a child is oppositional, but has an easy temperament, you're going to use, you're going to be able to use some recommendations. If a child has a very difficult temperament, and is overreactive, mm-hmm. then you're going to need to be careful about some of the recommendations that might be made. So your child's age and your child temperament, child's temperament are two important considerations to make. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, so so we have those issues to consider. You know, the severity of their symptoms also um, will will influence what type of treatment mm-hmm. you choose to do because you know if the child refuses or just will not, you know, once again, we're talking about the idea of 
of having people, meaning children, change the way that they're doing things because we're telling them that the way that they're doing it isn't effective, but the way that we want them to do it is effective, right. meeting their needs. And they may just disagree, you know, and, and mm-hmm. if they just disagree for whatever reason, you know, it makes it all the more difficult. So, um, you know, and, and lastly, the thing that influences the treatment considerations really is, is those comorbid um, conditions. Mm-hmm. If a child also has ADHD or learning problems or, right. or anxiety mm-hmm. or depression or something like that, that makes it all the more difficult because right. now you can figure out what to deal with first and how to manage all of that. That's right. You're dealing with a couple of different things. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we want to get to is, okay, so what is our advice? What, what do we recommend to people for dealing with, you know, if you have a child who is oppositional, who, who either has a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder or, or who just, is refusing, you know, presents with all the symptoms, but just hasn't had the diagnosis. Um, There there are a number of things that we try to recommend. And and the first is, as difficult as it is, I see, I took a deep breath before I even said that, as difficult as it is, you have to be persistent and consistent. Parents have to be, you have to be the broken record, and you're just doing it the same way every time and keep doing it the same way every time. You can't, you don't have the luxury of saying, I'm just worn out. I'm just too tired. I'm, you can't, you, you cannot say that. You have to be there every day. Well, and, and it's inevitable when we talk to parents, and, and it's certainly not every parent, but many parents with kids with AD, uh, oppositional defiant disorder, what we find out is they start out holding, holding firm to their expectations, mm-hmm. but they'll say, you know, if you, if you question a little bit farther, they'll, they'll say, well, yeah, there are times at the end of a hard day or, you know, he just doesn't stop. And eventually I just say, you know, fine, whatever. Right. And as soon as you do that, you know, you're, you're, you're do, that, that just maintains the behavior that just keeps right. it going. You have to hold firm. That's right. As soon as you give in, they have found that they have found the release valve. They have mm-hmm. found the opening that they've been looking for. You cannot send up the white flag. We're going to talk about that later. But when we talk about being persistent and consistent, you do that based on the child's temperament. So you have to know, is this child an easy temperament, difficult temperament? But you also have to know their reactivity, I call it, reactivity quotient. How quickly do they light up? How quickly do they ignite? How quickly do they become really dangerously aggressive? Okay. And you have to, you have to know this child if you're... And, so you begin with that. And then also is that you need to ensure that parents are the decision makers. The easiest thing is to give up and you simply can't give up. Um, but it begins with, are your expectations reasonable mm-hmm. and are your expectations age appropriate? Because if you're asking any child to do anything that is not age appropriate, that is beyond their ability to do it, you're going to get pushback. So you're persistent and consistent with this particular child, and you have to know who this child is. So yes, but begin with that. What I would advise is don't go into it that I've had it, I'm going to defeat, I am going to do whatever it takes. Don't even think that way. (laughs) Think in terms of this is a marathon and I have to pace myself and I have to manage my own expectations 
of what I can achieve. So yes, be persistent and consistent, but don't hit the red button. Don't ring the bell. Don't don't give up and don't panic. This is going to be a very long process that you're going to do every day. Right, right. And, and you know, there are some theories to say that the reason that we see these oppositional behaviors starting and emerging at the times that we do is because th- their brain is changing at those times and they, they, they are adamant that they can do things themselves and they don't need help and they know best and all, and all of that. But as we, as we wrote about in our book, you, you have to weather storms. You know, you, you have to be prepared to manage those times that are going to be difficult. You know, if you, if you, tell your child to clean his room and he says no okay you you can hold some punishment you can hold some but th- there isn't much that you can do if the child is completely adamant that no matter what you take away no matter what you do to him no matter what you say he's not going to clean his room i right. don't know how you make him do it right you know you, you can not that we would ever recommend this, but, you know, you can spank your child all day long. Right. And he, if he chooses not to clean his room, he's just not going to clean his room. Right. If they're, Unfortunately, we sometimes face that situation. And they're really, I mean, you're going to get to a point where there is nothing you can do. And I think that's the time to call a professional. Right. Because you don't want to give in. You don't want to surrender. But you are then going to need some, you're going to need some help uh, dealing with that. So. Absolutely. And so we have to work to to adjust in, in all. So we want to be persistent and consistent. But we also have to recognize that there are times in battles that we we fight and those that we don't fight. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't have to bring down the hammer with every single thing. Exactly. We mm-hmm. can. And, and as you said, you're making sure that our expectations are reasonable. We, we don't have to have the same level of expectation for every single piece of their life. Mm-hmm. We have to have some flexibility with some of those things. That's right. So, so we begin with, there are two times when this happens, the terrible twos in puberty, but that's when the brain changes. So, and kids become more competent. So they want more control. Second, you have to be prepared for, they, they are trying to separate and become independent at both stages. The terrible twos are, they want to be independent. Puberty is, they want to be independent. And you have to anticipate that. And you're, so your parenting has to change. We talked about willows and oaks, the two trees, when, when the hurricanes came. Um, oaks are very strong and sturdy, but they fall over during a hurricane. Willows are wispy, but they bend. And we want parents to be more like willows than oaks. Don't, right. don't stand there until you're knocked over. Um, don't be that strong. Uh, be a willow. Um, be more flexible. And the third consideration is what is this child seeking? What is it, what is the oppositional and defiant? What are they seeking? Kids behave to get their needs met. So this child is behaving in a way that there's some unmet need. And so part of your parenting is to try to figure out what is this child, what does this child need that I'm not providing? And how do I provide it in a way that's acceptable to both of us? Right. So the first thing, so so first is be persistent and consistent. The second thing is, is be careful how you respond. How you respond is absolutely critical. And responses fall into three categories, punishment, consequences, and responses. And so you have to use all three. Right. Yeah. And, and so we, we did a whole series uh, of podcasts recently on punishment. Um mm-hmm. uh, 
and, and, and well, punishments and consequences. But, right. you know, the idea of punishments, of course, is, you know, squashing or ending undesirable behavior. Right. Um, but what that often suggests is I'm going to do something to, <laughs> to snatch your attention. Um, and right. oftentimes it means I'm going to do something to hurt you, whether that means taking something that's valuable, mm-hmm. something that you want or spanking you um, in, in many families. Um, but I'm going to do something to hurt you, to help you understand. Um, right. I suppose that's a nice way of saying it, to help you understand that you need to stop behaving that way. Right, right. Or that you need to do something that I want right. you to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you really have to be careful when you're right. using punishments. Because um, for many of these kids, yes, um, we will acknowledge that oftentimes they are they are effective in the immediate in the in that exact moment right you're right spanking your child probably will stop them from doing what you're doing what they're doing however if you if you pause and ask yourself how many times have i had to spank him for that same thing then you realize that it's not very effective right because if it was effective it would work over time you you have only had to do it one time and it would it would be um, effective, but it's not. And so right. I say, I have to, you know, I spank him every time he does this and, it, and he just doesn't get it through his head. Well, okay. Well, we need to find a different way to get, to get it through his head. That's right. And you, you risk creating an adversary when, when you, if you want to hurt your child, whether it's physically or emotionally, or by taking something they really like, if you want to hurt them, if you say, by God, I'm going to inflict enough pain until you get the message. Okay. But you do it at your own risk because you could create an adversary. Remember, you're already dealing with somebody who's oppositional and defiant. You start poking them too hard, you're just going to increase the oppositionality and the defiance. And you're going to create an adversary that you don't want to have to deal with because they're going to make life very difficult for you. So be very, very careful with punishment. When we talk about punishment, we're talking about reducing a behavior, not hurting a person. So even if you feel that you need to resort to spanking, Maybe, but be very careful. You shouldn't do it after age five. Any spanking you want to do has to be mild and light and just get their attention, not inflict pain. But it has to be done before age five. But be very, very, very careful when you start uh, hitting a child. Um, that you, that can end up in some very bad places. Um, there are other better ways to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So be careful with punishments. Right. Now, so parents the- say... But we have to have consequences. And sure. then I said, Ernie, tell me about consequences. Sure. Well, well consequences are, are great. There, there's, and what we really have to understand is that there's always a consequence. Um, even doing nothing is a consequence. Um, but what, what we have to consider is that when, when the way that most parents think about consequences is it needs to be more than just saying I'm the boss or because I said so, or because that's what, you know, because I'm an adult. And when you're an adult, you can make these decisions. You know, we we have to move beyond that. Mm -hmm. And and we would like for parents to recognize that kids would do many times, kids would do what you expect them to do if they can, you know, if they can do it, they will. Mm -hmm. So let's, we many times we should begin with what skill are they lacking? What are they? What am I asking them to do that they're just maybe that they're just not able to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go clean your room, and they and they you go in there ten minutes later, and nothing has changed. Well, right. 
you could say that's oppositional, or you could say, you know, maybe he just doesn't know where to start. You, that's you, right. The, the you story, have in your yeah. head, you right. have in your head what it means to clean your room. That doesn't mean the child has the same vision as the same right. image. Yeah. So, so you know, he walks into this room that looks like a tornado hit it, and <laughs> he's supposed to know where to start and how to get it going. Now, right. as as an adult, I mean, I, I know that I've looked into, uh, you know. Parents will show me uh, the picture of their kid's room. They'll, they'll bring it in and say, look at this room. And I look at it. And I'm like, I, I don't know where I would start either. That's right. That's right. And the so you look at old trying to walk in and, and do something about it. How, how is he supposed to know where to start? Yeah, I, I think every house has a place where stuff accumulates. And, you know, like ours is a kitchen near the laundry room. And it's sort of we put it all there and then with the intention of taking it to the laundry room or the garage. Right. And this it has a tendency to, to to keep growing. And there are times when I look at all that and I say, I don't I don't even know where to begin. So maybe the skill the child is lacking is where do I begin? And right. they need help with you need to teach them where to begin. I think of Marie Kondo. Why is she so popular? Because we all have this tendency to be overwhelmed by our stuff. Well, why should children be any different? So you right. say, go clean your room. Well, maybe they need a junior Marie Kondo to say, first you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. This is how you declutter a room. We teach adults how to do that. Why not teach kids how to do it? Right. So when we think about consequences, we should think about teaching and, and helping them to understand what the expectation is. It should be natural. It should be logical. And it should be stepwise so that the kid can understand. That's right. The third area is is just a, a broad category that we're referring to as responses. And right. and, and sometimes, the, again, the best response is no response. Right. You know, sometimes when a child behaves poorly, it just doesn't really require a response. Right. Because, because now you're just drawing attention to it. Yeah, we, we, you know, everybody knows to get rid of temper tantrums, you ignore them. Okay. That's not the only thing that you can extinguish by ignoring it. And you can ignore a lot of behaviors and they'll go away if you ignore them. So you don't need to keep responding to all behaviors. Remember, your children want your attention. And if it means doing something dangerous or defiant or um, or destructive, they're going to do what they need to do to keep you in their orbit. And so be careful about always responding to everything they do. You don't need to respond to everything. Right. A absolutely. Just stay, stay calm. Explain it once, maybe twice. Um, but then after that, it's just, no, we, we know, you, you know what the expectation is. No, this is how we're doing it. So right. so the, the last area that we recommend for parents, and we may end up having to, to come back and visit this um, in more detail on another in another podcast, because well, the, the last area is, is has to do with timing. Yeah, let me, let me, if, if we're going to do that, and I think you're right, um, we, we don't want to try to pack too much into, uh, into this, but under responding, you are, number one, you can ignore things. Number two, you're not obligated to respond to every statement your child makes. Sure. There, there's, you know, we all tend to talk too much. We all tend to preach. We all tend to lecture. And invariably, Children will challenge their parents. They say, well, you didn't do this, or you said you were going to, you don't, you're not obligated to respond to every one of your child's statements, okay? Because statement one, your response leads to their response, leads to your response, leads to their, that's never going to end well, right? right? 
you're, there's no obligation for you to respond to everything they say. You don't need to explain, justify, rationalize more than once, okay? Once you've explained it, you don't need to keep explaining and re-explaining and taking all the little nuances and get into some argument with, with a child or a teenager. And you should only do that when you're calm. Right. When you're, when you're aroused, that's not the time to do teaching. Right. When you're aroused, that's not the time to make a point. You don't need to justify it. Just stay quiet. Right. Your child can only argue if you are arguing with him or her. Right. If nobody else is talking, they're going to argue. They can't argue with them. They can't argue in an empty room. Right. You have to create an empty room. You don't need to respond. You're going to feel the need to respond, but you don't need to because none of that should happen unless you're calm. Finally. Yeah. I, well, I, I th I'm glad. Just one more point with that because I'm glad that you went back to that because I think that you and I had this conversation the other day because uh, of some of the, uh, I think I said that I have a, have a gaggle of four and five-year-olds that I'm working with right now. Yeah, um, and, and we, we, you know, for a long time, and I, I recognize the comp, the confusion that this could present for some people um, because it's confusing for all of us. Um, there, there is a balance that we have to find. Um, we, we often talk to parents about being more authoritative as opposed to authoritarian, right? So authoritative is explaining and helping make sure that the child have, having strict rules and, and guidelines and expectations, but, but working to explain and make sure that the child understands and, you know, teaching before punishing and, and all of those things, as opposed to authoritarian, which is, you know, because I said so, and, you know, right. I'm the boss and th those kinds of things. But there's a there's a there's a line in there where parents can go too far on the authoritative side to right. where we are we are putting ourselves in a in a in a position that again is is just repetitive, redundant, and and frustrating for all of us, including the child. Um, you know, you don't need to sit down a three-year-old and explain to them for you know for 30 minutes why they shouldn't hit their brother <laughs> no the the rule is we don't hit each other that's <laughs> it it doesn't have we don't have to go into it hurts him what how do you like it when other people hit you we don't have to keep going into all of that the rule is we don't hit because hitting is not nice and period then, and then your child says, yes but there is no yes but no, right. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter if and and we want we want our kids to understand, and that's terrific. But the the main thing that he needs to understand at that age, at that at that level, is the main thing you need to understand is no, we don't hit. <laughs> that's yeah. it. You're not a lawyer. You're a parent. And you don't have to respond to every objection. You don't right. have to respond to every piece of evidence. You you say this is hitting is not biting is not allowed hitting is not allowed you can't break windows I don't care what the reason you can't break a window you can't damage you can't hurt other people you can't hit other people there's nothing left to talk about right. you know I I love the phrase no is a complete sentence yeah I because I said no well and and that is of course 
Right. That exactly. That is after you, you've explained it, you know, that the child understands what you're expecting of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I don't like the idea that, you know, the child says, you know, well, why can't I go outside and play? Because I said, no. Uh, okay. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's not very good mm-hmm. because the child, you want the child to understand, well, you can't go outside and play because in 30 minutes we're expecting, a, you know, a, a thunderstorm to hit and, you know, okay, well now that makes sense. But but to say no when you know the child is asking for the tenth time, can I have a candy bar before before dinner? No, the answer is no. It's already been explained. Um, that's it. You've explained it, and it your child is going to try to draw you in, to weaken you, to wear you down, to where you give up. That's what we're saying at the beginning when we said be consistent, be persistent, do not give in. Do right. not say, oh, my God, I'm tired of dealing. Just eat whatever you want. No, that's not how parenting works. You have to hang in there. Okay? Absolutely. You have to, and, you've, and you don't need to keep explaining and explaining and explaining. It's it, it reminds me of the first rule of sales is you find out what the customer's objection is, and then you deal with that objection. Right. And you just keep looking for more objections until they don't have any more. That's what kids are doing to you. They're, right. they're acting like good old salesmen. Well, let me see which objection I can manipulate, okay? The only way to avoid that is to not let it start to begin with. Right. You, give your ex- you, you say, no, you can't do that right now because we're going to have dinner in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the discussion. Absolutely. That, that You've explained it. You've done your due diligence. You have given a rational explanation, very calm, and said, no, sweetheart, we're going to have dinner in 30 minutes, so this, we're not going to have snacks right now. That's the end of the discussion. Right. Yep. That's no matter what else the child says, doesn't matter. You're not going to, you're not going to change. You're not going to change your mind. Right. As soon as you shouldn't. Hopefully you won't. So. All right. Well, I, I think we'll wrap up there. Next week, we will come back and we'll talk about some of the nuances of oppositional defiant disorder at different ages. Because right. timing, right. the timing of the and age of the child makes a big difference when it comes to, you know, how we're, how we're managing it and what we're going to do about it. So next week we'll come back and talk about um, age related differences and issues with opposition defined disorder. But for now, you know, focus on, you know, these, these um, strategies or these ideas that we were talking about today, being, being persistent and consistent and, and making sure that you respond in a way that's going to um, not further the behavior, but also not have just the intent of hurting um, and, and not teaching and not making sure the kid understands what to do. So that's right. And right. Yeah, keep in mind that this is a very long process. You're not going to hit, you're not going to get immediate success. You're not going to get permanent success. There's no home run here. There's no hole in one. There's no home run. Um, it's just something you're going to have to do every day. And you're going to have to do it in, in a mindful way and realize that the children are are trying to wear you down until you just send up till you surrender. Right. The only thing you can't do is you can't surrender. A- absolutely. Um, we also may have a um, we also may return to the old ways uh, next week, and and that is um, oh, right. you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, we've we've um, been using Zoom uh, like this for for recording our our podcasts and. We may be back in the same studio starting next week, so we'll see how that goes. Um, we had to learn. We learned how to do that. Then we had to learn how to do this. Now we have to learn how to do that again. Right. So, 
part of the part of the pandemic challenges. For those who watch on YouTube, it'll be uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> That's so, right. That's right. All right. Well, until then, uh, until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.